morning, Creekside Church. Morning, morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan, and I'm one of the pastors here. But for the next three months, I'm kind of like one of the only pastors here. Uh, Mark, our head pastor, is on his sabbatical for the next three months, and he is just going to be resting, coming back, and just ready to just tell us all about how the Spirit has moved in his life over the last three months. But while Mark is gone, we are entering into a new sermon series called The Art of Being. But before we jump into what the art of being means, I think it would be a wise thing to tell you about what the art of being is not. Because as a culture, we do a very good job of not simply being. We do a really good job of adopting hustle culture, a culture in which we seek to have a more packed agenda than a friend. When we sit down and we talk with somebody, we say, hey, how are you doing? If they say they're busy, we're like, oh yeah, well, uh, I'm busier, you know? We're all guilty of doing this, right? We like to add things to our schedule. We like to be hurried. We don't maybe not like to be anxious, but our hurried life is leading us to a place of being anxious. We're busy. We're drained. We have bought into this lie that we do not have enough time, and if we only had a little bit more time, we would accomplish everything we would want. We all have bought into this idea that if we had more time, we would create space for what we wish we could do. We buy into the hustle culture, and if we push a little bit harder, we may get more money, we'll be more successful, people will look to us, or we can buy things that can make us happy. Or if I do one more task, I'm pushing myself harder than that person. Or if I don't take a week or a day off this week, then I'm one step ahead. We pack our schedules with our kids' sports, work, events, TV, and social media. And we never truly stop to ask ourselves, what type of person am I becoming by what I'm doing? What type of example am I being to my neighbors, to my kids, to the people around me by the agenda that I uphold? Who am I being? If someone were to look at my life would they see that I make space for Jesus? Or would they see that the God in my life is work, my kids, social media, TV, ESPN? Am I showing through my actions what I see as important? Am I showing that Jesus is my king? Or maybe... We say Jesus is our king, and we actually prioritize to do things for Jesus. We are the super volunteer for God. We are showing up to everything. We're pushing ourselves. We're pushing ourselves. We're pushing ourselves. But we don't recognize that God calls us first to spend time with him. And so by doing things for God over and over again, we don't recognize that we've adopted the hustle culture, but it leads to burnout. It leads us to be upset or disillusioned with God because we pushed ourselves too hard instead of spending time with him. 
And you probably are thinking, well, that's cute, Nathan, but you don't know my schedule. And honestly, Nathan, if I had more time, maybe I would make time to read my Bible and pray or, you know, maybe even do something called a Sabbath, but I've got kids. There's no way I can take a Sabbath. And you're right. I don't know your schedule. I don't know what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom. I don't know what it's like to have uh, homeschool kids. I don't know what it's like to be a lawyer in the, in the school system, to be in the medical world. I don't know any of that. But two things I do know. The first time, or the first one is, more time won't fix what you prioritize. And the second thing that I know is most of us have more time than we think. In fact, one of my favorite authors and followers of Jesus, John Mark Comer, wrote about this idea and the lie of if I only had more time. And in a second, we're going to look at his analogy with a little bit of my own twist on it. But the statistics I will share and the premise of the argument are from John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in this book, he says most of us would agree that reading is a good thing right? We would all kind of agree that whether we like to read or not, we recognize that reading is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And some of us, including myself, would say that if I had more time, I would actually read more. And last year, I read 52 books in 52 weeks, um, which some people would consider incredible. And then you read this statistic and you recognize that 52 is nothing. So, did you know that the average American can read 200 to 400 words per minute? At that speed, we could all read 200 books a year. 200 books a year, and it would take 417 hours. Which seems like a lot, but if you actually do the math, it's just a little over an hour a day. And before you say, I don't have that time, let me share with you another statistic. Per year, Americans consume social media 705 hours in a year. 705 hours. We as Americans also spend 2,737.5 hours watching TV. So for a fraction of the time that we spend watching social media or consuming TV, we could all read 200 books. And in The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer shares this quote that is haunting and yet very, very true. It's from a man named Charles Chu. And the quote is this. Here is the simple truth behind reading a lot of books. It's not hard. We have all the time we need. The scary part, the part we all ignore, is that we are too addicted, too weak, and too distracted to do what we all know is important. And if this is true of reading more books, how much more is it true of our spiritual lives? If we could sit back and look at our schedules, would people really know that we are followers of Jesus? Are our busy, hurried, anxious lives 
destroying our relationship with Jesus. Because if we look at the life of Jesus and if we look at his life and how he walked in the way of Jesus, he was never in a rush. He saw interruptions as an opportunity to love people. I am 100% guilty of seeing interruptions as interruptions, not opportunities to love. But in fact, Jesus stopped and cared when he was interrupted. He often sought solitude to be filled by God so he wouldn't be hurried. And it's no wonder that anxiety and other things are on the rise in our culture because we have lost the idea of time with Jesus. Jesus calls us into a relationship with him, the Prince of Peace, the Jesus that came in grace and truth to share his mercy with all people. But we are too busy to cultivate a relationship with him. Because if we want a relationship with God, it will take time. If we want to be more like Jesus, it will take time. And if we are really willing to learn to be with Jesus, we must learn what it means to abide in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 15. And let's take a look at the type of life that Jesus is calling us to. And as we read this section of scripture, let's truly imagine what Jesus is presenting before us, the concept of the vine, the concept of a branch, and the concept of a vine dresser. So let's jump into the scriptures. John 15, 1 says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So from the very first verse in this section, we see that Jesus is the true vine, and God is the vine dresser. Why would it say true vine? Because there are many other vines out there. But they are not the true vine, not the true vine that gives us life-giving nutrients. And why would they say that God is the vine dresser? Because a vine dresser is a person who prunes and trains and cultivates the vine. And so here we see that God is the source of our nutrition, but it's the vine that we have to be attached to as branches to get those nutrients. Look at the graphic here. 
we see that the vine carries to the branches, and if a branch is attached to the vine, it bears fruit. And we see in verse 2 what happens to fruit that are branches that bear fruit and branches that don't bear fruit. We see that branches that don't bear fruit are cut off, they're put away. But we see that branches do bear fruit, they are pruned. Which is a weird concept to think because you would think, why if a healthy branch is producing fruit would it be pruned? But if we really look at our lives and as we follow Jesus, as we sit with Jesus, God is pruning the unhealth from our lives. Pruning is a good thing because it makes us step in line with who Jesus has created us to be. When we are pruned by the Holy Spirit, as we sit with Jesus, he transforms us to be more like him. And we become like Jesus. And verse 3 shows us that as we sit with Jesus, we are cleansed by Jesus. John 1 talks about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 3 here says that by Jesus' words, they are clean. Which means Jesus is the word and Jesus is the one that cleanses us. We too often as Christians focus on the sin within us and the sin around us instead of recognizing that Jesus died for our sins. Past, present, and future for our neighbor's sin, for the person at work that annoys us. He died for all people's sins. Which means when we accept him, we are clean. We all sin and we will continue to make mistakes, but the forgiveness, truth, and grace of the cross are available to us every single day. As Paul, the author of many books in the New Testament states, we are both already and not yet. In other words, we are clean because of what Jesus did, but we also have to continue to be pruned. And John says that Jesus came in grace and truth and love. And so one could argue that as we're pruned because we're getting the nutrients from the vine, that the nutrients we get from the vine are grace, truth, and love. And when we understand this, we are then ready to bear fruit because it's not about us. It's about abiding in the one who created us. And verse 4 shows us that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. <laughs> A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And the next couple of verses kind of continue this theme. Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if no one abides in me, they are thrown into the fire. And one of the reasons that branches do not bear fruit and they have to be cut off is because they are not attached to the vine. They aren't spending time with Jesus. But also, they might be attached to the wrong vine. And here we see that we have to be attached to the true vine. But we also need to spend time with that vine. <laughs> And verse 7 is a very fun verse in scripture. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And some of us read that and we're like, yes, vending machine prayers. 
I come to the vending machine as Lisa shared with us when she did the prayer sermon. And we put in something and we expect something back out. But what I love about this verse is the first section of it. Before we see whatever you ask is if you truly are abiding in Jesus and his words truly abiding you, then when you ask, you will get what you wish. Because when you come with a heart posture of abiding in Jesus and abiding in his word, your prayers are no longer selfish. They're no longer about you. They're about seeing the kingdom grow. And in fact, with a heart like this, when we come to God and he says no, we recognize that it's actually his way of answering our prayer. We actually recognize that it's a chance for us to abide even more and trust that God is perfect in his timing. And when we do this, we recognize what verse 8 says, that we are glorifying God, that we are abiding in Jesus, that we are bearing fruit and so prove to be disciples of Jesus. And discipleship means different things at different times in our walk with Jesus. And Jesus here is implying that this is a process. To be pruned is not easy. But it takes time sitting with the vine and letting the true nutrition of the vine transform what is within us. And by spending time with him and practicing the way of Jesus, we begin to be transformed into people who God created us to be. The branches in this entire analogy simply rest in the vine. Just from being next to the vine, just by simply being there and being connected to the vine, it gets its nutrition. But a branch away from the vine dies. So to keep healthy and to keep ourselves being pruned, we must recognize that we are meant to be attached to the vine. Which is why for the next three months, we will be in a sermon series called The Art of Being. The goal is to rest in Jesus and begin to live lives that are aligned to the ways of Jesus. To create healthy rhythms that help us cultivate a genuine relationship with the God of the universe. And other than this beautiful slide, the reason we picked the art of being is because art takes time. Art is a process of hard work and thought. And no art piece is ever truly finished. As one of the greatest artists to ever live, Leonardo da Vinci once said, he said, art is never finished, only abandoned. And we are art pieces that are never truly finished. But the beautiful thing about our creator is he will never abandon us. And through the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, as we will call them, we create space for ourselves to come into the presence of our creator. And in this space, God nurtures us, he grows us, and he cares for us. And that is why we will be saying the art of being, because we are simply just creating the space to listen and be with God.
So over the next couple of months, we will talk about different spiritual practices. And with each one, we will have a title that flows very similar. We will talk about the art of prayer, the art of silence and solitude, the art of study, the art of etc., etc. And spiritual practices are about seeking ways to be with Jesus so we can grow in relationship with him so that we can also learn to hear our heavenly father's voice and we can grow in our understanding of the Holy Spirit that is at work within us. And when I think of passages like John 15, I see that our call as believers is to live in union and communion with Jesus Christ, to live with reliance on him. He is the vine and we are the branches. Yet in our culture, we don't create space for this. We don't. The spiritual practices are very rarely sought after, except for more recently in our culture, in the Christian world. But the spiritual practices are a way for us to pursue to abide in the love, wisdom, and nature of God. And through these practices, we hear God's voice. We are able to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, and we begin to understand what it means to follow the way of Jesus. And if we are apprentices of Jesus, we are not meant to be like the world. We are meant to be like Jesus. And Jesus did some of these disciplines. And if we are apprentices of Jesus, we must learn to create space to spend time with him. If you want to know more about God, spend time with Jesus. If you want to know more about what it means to be fully human, Spend time with Jesus. Jesus was both fully God and fully human. He shows us the way to live a fully human life. And the goal is to not add another thing to your to-do list, but instead, with these spiritual practices, we are simply trying to create space to learn to trust, rest, and abide in Jesus. The main goal of this sermon series is to give our church tools to abide and be with God. Spiritual practices are defiance in a culture of hurry and busyness and anxiety. But as Richard Foster, a very famous man who studied spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, says, by themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to a place where something can be done. These practices are not about doing things for God. They are about creating a space to sit and be transformed by him. It's about adopting a lifestyle that shows that Jesus really is the king of our, of our lives. And over the next couple of months, we are going to practice these spiritual practices to help us be with Jesus, to help us abide in him, to help us be pruned of what is unnecessary, to make room for what is necessary. 
And this is going to be a journey that may not be easy, but it will be worth it. We are both there and not there at the same time. But as we practice these practices, we will begin to rest in the grace, peace, and truth of Jesus Christ. And eventually, with patience, we will begin to create a reality where we are in union with Jesus. And there will be hard moments, but there will also be breakthroughs if we stick with it and if we seek to be with God. And the best analogy I can think of with these spiritual practices is the art of running. I know some of you guys, I just lost you. (laughs) But I have a weird question for you. When does a runner become a runner? (laughs) And I know this is a weird question, but I think if we really truly think about this, right, like is a runner a runner when they first start out? When they first are really ambitious about it and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go do this running thing. I'm going to get back in shape. Everybody in January, right? We're like, yes, here we go. I'm so hyped up. And they're carrying this motivation and this energy into this thing, right? So at first they're overzealous and they're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then the reality of running, the reality of trying to learn something new, the reality of trying one of these spiritual practices hits. And we recognize that not every training day is going to be sunshine and gold. Some training days are in the rain. Some training days it hurts. Some training days we don't hear God's voice. Sometimes we don't feel the peace of God. I believe the moment a runner becomes a runner is when they recognize the reality of the hardship and they push through it. Because on the other side is joy. It's weird to think, but if you've ever met a runner who actually enjoys it, it's because they push through the pain of the training. And the same can be said of these spiritual practices. If they are going to become lifelong practices, there will be points where you might not hear God. There will be points where you don't want to do them. But I would encourage you to continue in these practices even when you don't want to. Continue to cultivate space where you can be transformed by Jesus. You cannot sit with God and not leave changed. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. By sitting with God and learning to be with Jesus, we will become people who walk in the ways of Jesus. The art of being is about learning to abide in Jesus in every moment of the day. Every moment. And we believe that through these spiritual practices, we can create new rhythms in our lives to create space to abide in him. But I believe the the true question is, will you embark with us over the next three months as we seek the art of being? Because we as a pastoral staff and as elders, are inviting you into a process 
of intentionally cultivating space to be with Jesus. And from being in that space, you will begin to be transformed by Jesus. And when we do this, it will lead us to live lives the way Jesus lived. And we're not asking you to do this alone. We're asking us to do it as a community, together. Each practice that we will talk about, we will encourage you at some point in the week to take a step into it. But as a church body, we are going to do it on that exact same day. So that we do this together. And as each week we learn these things, we will practice them together. And so this week, on Wednesday morning, I want to invite you into just spending 10 minutes, 10 minutes this Wednesday morning, just seeking God's presence. That could be looking at nature. That could be sitting and trying to see the image of God in your kids. (laughs) But I would encourage you to get to a place alone. And simply sit for 10 minutes with God. Seek his presence. You can speak if you want. You could be silent if you want. But I would encourage you just to listen for him. So let's pray that this Wednesday we can create 10 minutes to be with God. And that over the next three months we can enter into this incredible journey of the art of being. So Lord, as the worship team comes back up, I just pray that we would learn to do what you call us to do in John 15, that we would learn to abide in you, that we would recognize that it's not by our own fruits or our own nutrition that we get by, but it's by you and you alone, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that this week that each one of us in this room and during second service will create space Wednesday morning, just 10 minutes out of our crazy lives, to spend with you. Lord, I pray that we would spend time just dwelling in your grace, in your truth, in your mercy, and in your compassion. That no matter what the rest of our week looks like, that we would know by simply sitting with you, You give us the nutrition to move forward. Lord, thank you for being our King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for being the one that sent your son to show us what it means to be fully human. Lord, thank you for the process of communion to remind us of what your son did for us. And now we're not alone in this journey, but you are with us every step of the way. Lord, may we learn what it means to simply be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.